coming up on Man Enough. Every time I write a script, it's going to do the exact same thing. It's going to be a fun mm. first act. I'm going to lose confidence in the, in the middle of the second act. This anxiety, this lack of confidence, this you know, angst is going to be there. Just get ready for it. Say hello to it. Here yeah. it is. Get past it. Do you experience that also, that same lack of confidence sometimes as a husband? Yeah, there's definitely times you're like, oh, am I too impatient? What are my faults? Am I trying to blame on my wife? You have to constantly keep looking at yourself in a way that you're not blaming the other person. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil. So maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hello and welcome to Man Enough. Hi, Liz. Hi, uh, Justin. Hi, Jamie. Hello, bo this Big Bottle. Such a door. I know, I'm just Do we gonna... have a name for her yet? Or she just is anonymous? What is this water bottle? It's aggressive. <laughs> it's aggressive. It's just there to piss it's, it's, uh, Jamie it's off. It's just because once you told me I couldn't have my oversized water bottle. Yeah. I just feel you like I need it. You're man enough right now. Like there's something to unpack here. The fact that how you need something really big. Oh. On the table. Oh, that's interesting. I actually hadn't thought of it. Big that bottle way. energy. In fact, big bottle energy. Uh, no, I just want to encourage people <laughs> to hydrate. That's great. I, just, I don't it's think men. I don't think men do drink enough water. It's a lot of ways. Do, to do men that drink as much water having... as women? I know. Someone Google that. There's probably there's no way. Probably not. There's no way that that happens. We don't yeah. even go to the doctor. Yeah. Uh, we have so much to talk about today, and I am I am very excited personally. You are. As a filmmaker, to have somebody with this incredible resume who's made some of my favorite comedy movies of all time on mm -hmm. the show with us today. Director, author, the incredible Mr. Paul Feig on the show today. It's me. Hello. How are you? It's so nice to see you all and to see that and to see that giant water bottle. My God. Yes. That's happening there. Is it? Yeah. She okay, needs, she's going to get her own all right, mic. All right. I'm putting it down. Um, I'm putting it down. While you put it down, I'm going to introduce. <laughs> is there our, someone in there? Our, <laughs> there might be. Yeah. Our incredible guest. Paul is uh, an iconic, award-winning creator, filmmaker, writer, producer, and author known for creating the beloved and critically acclaimed series Freaks and Geeks and a leading of influential projects like a small indie film called Bridesmaids. Um, just a small not one. just my favorite movie one of all of time. One of the greatest comedies <laughs> of all time. One of the greatest comedies of all time. <laughs> Truly. <Literally>. The Office, <laughs> Ghostbusters, and most recently, uh, The School of Good and Evil on Netflix. And during the pandemic, you were also kind of a cocktail enthusiast, and you've just released a new book called Cocktail Time. Welcome, Paul, to yes. Man Enough. Mm, welcome, brother. Thank you so much for Thank being here. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Thank you. I thank you for having me. It's, it's it's a real thrill. I love it, you guys. You know, we have a lot of guests that that come on, and um, and everybody's amazing and well worth all of our time. Every now and again, we get someone like yourself who um, has had such impact to a large group of people, and you know, moved their hearts in one way or another, and made us all laugh hmm. and uh, made us think. So it's great to have you here and to share this space and to talk about something a bit more elevated than what we oftentimes get to talk about. Mm -hmm. So. 
Thank you. Oh, well, that's so very kind. Thank, I appreciate that. Yeah, you've also elevated the dress code of the podcast. You're the, the I, first person I wore, to wear a tie. I wore this also, and it's not even that dressy, just because I, I knew, knew he was going to be dressed up. I just oh wanted God. to feel like I could meet him at a dinner party <laughs> and not be embarrassed. In the meantime. Well, now I, I feel like we should I, I felt too casual because I don't have my jacket on, so. Oh, my know, God, right? it's great. No, well, you're it's, best yeah, dressed. I, I just, I, Where's my jacket? Uh, <laughs> Can you Thank just share you. one quick thing with us before we get heavy and deep? You um, started your career, your amazing career, at a very prestigious place in a very prestigious role <laughs> as um, being a tour guide for Universal Studios, correct? <laughs> that's that's where it all began. Yes, correct. Yes. I love that. That's where it all started. Yeah, I, I was living uh, right outside Detroit in Michigan and uh, wanted to get in the showbiz and... Um, I got a copy of a Variety magazine, and and they had a listing of all the, the the studios. So I called all the studios to see if they needed actors, and of course they didn't. But Universal Studios, the last one I called, they said they needed um, tour guides. So I drove, I did my last exam, drove all the way there, like had to be there like twenty four hours from Michigan, and got into the training program. Then I was a tour guide for the summer of eighty one. Wow. 81. So you wow. may have you may have driven me around and just introduced me to the Jaws that scared my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, well, I fell in Jaws Lake, you know. That's my, my claim. You to fell fame. in <laughs> Jaws Lake? Yes, yes. Because, you know, if you've been on the tour, you know how you're coming down and that's yeah. like the dot tips when, it, when, like, the shark's coming by. And so I was doing the tour guide thing, and a woman was wearing a clog. And when it tipped, her clog fell in the water. And so the shark came and did all this thing. And we get out. She goes, like, my clog's in the water. So I went back onto the dock to get it. And then the dock reset. And I fell off into the water. And, and almost got run over by Jaws as it was backing up into position. So I almost got killed by Jaws' tail. Oh, God. Uh, so Close call. Wow. I'm glad we what made you made story. it. <laughs> Thank you. It could have all been over. There would be no bridesmaids. Yeah. I think we're all filmmakers now. We're going to tell them, um, you know, interns, go and work at Universal Studios as yeah. a tour guide. Maybe they can one day be like you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, <laughs> it was fun. I mean, it, that was the first time I was ever around showbiz, you know, yeah. it, it, being in a studio and being around like, you know, sound stages and productions. It was really cool. Oh, sweet. Mm. Not too long ago, I actually went and took my kids on the tour. And I hadn't been on mm. the tour probably in 15, maybe 20 years since I first got into the business, probably 20 years ago. And I was filled with so much nostalgia. Just I remember being a kid and going, mm -hmm. and <laughs> now it's now I'll never think about that tour part again without <laughs> seeing you fall into the water. <laughs> but <you> I remember <laughs> just the feeling of what that was like and... And just the, the being in awe that movies could be made. And then here we are now, like a, a small part of it in some way. I imagine mm -hmm. for you, that's got to be really, really sweet Yeah, to go from being a tour guide yeah. to just making some of the funniest movies of all time. Well, the craziest thing was that, uh, you know, I, I, like a few years ago, I got a deal, a first look deal at Universal Studios. So mm. like the, the studio where I was just like this kid from Michigan, all of a sudden, like I'm making movies for them and you're on the tour and they have a bridesmaids thing up. It's it, it blows my mind. So I mean, I never cool. get jaded about this business because you, you just can't believe you're in it. You know, mm. it's, we're so lucky. You're listening to the Mad Enough podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough podcast. So we ask every guest the same question to start. Paul, when was the last time that you didn't feel enough? Hmm. Interesting. I like that question. Um, 
<laughs> every day of my career, I would dare say. Because, um, you know, you, I think we all have, to some extent, imposter syndrome, you know, and um, <laughs> I feel that every time, especially when I'm going into a new project, you know, you just kind of like, you can't imagine that it's going to exist and you can't imagine yourself doing it, even though you have a clear vision for it. Like I always wake up in the middle of the night and go like, I, how am I going to shoot this? How is this going to actually happen? How's it going to be real? It doesn't seem real. It's why like whenever I'm making a movie and there's, you know, we have like onset photographers, I, I always kind of like, it doesn't make sense to me because to me, I'm like, Oh, why do why do they want to take pictures of this? Cause I, I don't know if this is going to work or not. Mm. And only when the movie's finished and you look at those photos, you're like, Oh wow, cool. That actually was like, that's capturing a moment that now, you know, is something that people know, uh, you mm. know, and, and, and like if it's a scene that people really like, you know, like mm. there's a photographer when we're shooting the dress shop scene and bridesmaids, <laughs> you know, now you're like, Oh, that's cool that we have that. But you just kind of don't know while you're doing it, if it's, if it, it's going to work, you know, it, mm. you, you hope it does and you put everything in place for it. But I don't know. I just don't, I never have that overwhelming, overwhelming confidence of this is going to be great. And this is, you know, going to live for a long time. Mm. Yeah. So, so do you doubt yourself before you go in? Sorry guys, I'm taking this over. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, personal therapy. Do, it. do you doubt yourself uh, before you go make a movie? Um, does the pressure ever get to you? Do you wonder if you can actually pull it off? You, it's more that really it's really more of that because you know everything you do when you're shooting is, and it's different from a tv show in a lot of ways because like a tv show you kind of have your sets you know and you know your characters and it's kind of it's an ongoing thing with a movie everything is new every day is new you know a lot of directors will say i think zomekis robert zomekis had said you know all you do you get the set with a vision and all you do is compromise that vision all day long <laughs> and i understand what he's saying but at the same time nobody knows what's in your head and so that's the thing you got to learn as you make movies is like I've got something that I want so specifically in my head, but then when other people start getting involved and putting their input in, you know, everybody from the cinematographer to the actors to the, you know, the prop people, all that stuff, then it's, it becomes other people's vision too. And some people have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that because I just think it ups my vision Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. or it just makes it different. Like my vision was going to be one thing, but what we got was really cool. And it had a lot of people's, lot of other people's visions in it and so it became a living breathing thing yeah and i you know uh i was uh at a screening for for a film the navalny documentary and, and the director said you know any film getting made is a miracle mm-hmm. and yeah. i know that many of your films feel like miracles to me personally but also i know we're very hard to make for you um as a director i really see bridesmaids as being this uh turning point in in hollywood and also obviously because of the influence of Hollywood, our, our entire culture of, you know, women being taken seriously, uh, you know, as as leads and also movies about women and about female stories being seen as having um, like a mainstream appeal, right? So that it's not just a chick flick. Like we don't say, like it's kind yeah. of the whole chick flick um, myth, uh, which was just kind of assumed to be true, yeah. that men don't care about women's stories, just was, was proven wrong uh, by how successful Bridesmaids uh, really was. And so, but a lot of people don't realize how hard it was for you to make that film. Mm. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to that. And just, again, on a personal level, I think it's really wonderful as an 
you know, as a viewer, when I see a, like a female director really harness and 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 illustrate the female experience and make me feel seen, I think that there's something really even more magical <laughs> in in some respects when a man and a male director is able to do that. <laughs> and again, I'm I'm giving you like five questions in one because I have so many things I want to ask you. But it's also right. in the way that you create male characters, supportive of female uh, leads and their experience. So, yeah, how hard was it to make bridesmaids? And why do you think that – how have you seen it sort of shift the industry in terms of other films that you've made about women's stories? A lot of pressure was put on on the movie. You know, I mean, we were able to get it made because, yeah. you know, Judd had, had made a deal with, with Kristen Wiig because they had done, uh, you know, Knocked Up and all that. So – and it wasn't an expensive movie, but at the same time, it was a it was a big risk for them. And the industry was very much about going, we have to wait and see if this movie starring women will work before we can look at other projects like this, which just really shows you how screwed yeah. up Hollywood is, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, we get, you know, when the, when the hangover came out, it wasn't like, oh, let's right. wait and see if these three guys can carry a movie, you know? <laughs> so, you know, so there was that, but I'm a, a guy, I'm very in tune with, with women's stories. And I grew up, I was an only child, very close to my mom, all my friends were girls. So I feel very in tune with that, but I'm still a guy in, in the sense of, I don't feel like I've got this ultra knowledge. What I am, am, am able to do beyond kind of, you know, being a little more in touch with those stories is to work with amazing women who then I get to vet everything and go like, is this feel real? Does mm. this, would you respond this way? No. What would you do? Okay. It has to be to get great three-dimensional male and female characters. You need both sexes weighing in on it mm -hmm. so that each side can call the other side when you're going into stereotype. Yeah. You know I mean? Was there mm -hmm. ever anything that, yeah, like you put in the script or or you were going to put into a scene that then one of the women that you worked with was like, a woman would never say this. Oh yeah. No, you, you like pitch a joke in the moment and they're like, mm, I don't know if I would say that. And it's like, oh, cool. Well, what version of that would you say? Uh -huh. the, oh, oh, we would do this. And so that's how it would always work out. And you go, oh, that's way funnier, you know? Yeah. And so that's why you need that 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 give and take. But do you remember like a like a specific example of, of something that you thought women said or women did and, and someone was like, not, ab absolutely not. Or not, and you can't pull a... Oh, gosh. It's been too long. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of any specifics. I, it's really just... Rarely. It's it sometimes it's just word it's wordings mm -hmm. of things you know or a term or so we wouldn't use that term we'd use this term you know right. and especially when you get into kind of R rated comedy not that I'm <laughs> pitching you know, horrible horrible <laughs> things to say but you know there's just a way that somebody that a woman would say something a joke that a guy wouldn't you know mm -hmm. and, and so it's just a constant kind of mm -hmm. pitching and like even just pitching a joke and then they do the joke but they've already changed it to their wording. You know, uh, um, and sometimes it's not even a male female thing. Sometimes it's just that's the way a person's mouth works. That's why I always have such a hard time with writers who say, say it exactly this way. When I was a TV director, that's all would happen. Like you yeah. have a joke and the, the actor would have it. And then the showrunner would be like, he's got to say it like this. And he's like, but his mouth doesn't work that way. Right. You know, I, I had that happen when I worked with Tracy Morgan on on um, 30 Rock. And, you know, the showrunner had a joke. He wanted very specific wording for Tracy's a very individual <laughs> performer who has a funny way that he does it and made it his own. And this showrunner wanted mm. it said this way. And, and finally, it was just like, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Or you go in and tell Tracy Morgan to say it exactly <laughs> yes. the way that he would say it because this, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's one of the hard things about TV. I, I, I've experienced that as an actor where I've had to say things exactly as written. Um, 
you know, yeah. on the show I was on for five years. And I, and I, there were times when I just couldn't say the words Yeah, and it may actually felt, it made me feel stupid or like, I was like, wait, am I bad at speaking? <laughs> um, but it had to be said this way. And then I'd find myself, the only way that I could say it was by slowing down so much that the words came out correctly, but yeah. then it killed whatever I was trying to say. Yeah, totally. Uh, but then of course you still had mm -hmm. to say it that way. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's that's something I always keep on my desk. I always have on my desk a bust of Shakespeare to remind myself and every writer I work with that we're not Shakespeare. We can change these words. You know, this is not <laughs> sacred text, <laughs> you know, because, again, everybody's mouth works differently. We say we talk differently. You know, you seem to have, you've talked about something to the effect that it's um, you think boys, young boys should have friends that are girls um, and also that, um, you know, I guess, what, why do you think oftentimes that is not the case? Why boys have trouble opening up or having girls as friends? What's your thoughts about that? Yeah. And, how, and, and specifically, why you think it's beneficial to young boys to be engaged and have deep relationships with women, young girls as friends? The portrayals of women they've been seeing for the past 30 years, 40 years, has been, it's a girl to be in love with. Mm -hmm. It's a mom who's mean and gets in your way and doesn't let you go out with your friends. It's a girlfriend who's a shrew. It's a wife who's, you know, telling the superhero, telling the hero, you got to stay home with the family. You can't go and save the world. And so it just creates this- A stepmother. Yeah, this vision of like, oh, well, women are a drag, you know, and only guys kind of get this. And so that, that creates this schism that then I think, a lot of young guys can't kind of see past, you know? And, and so if you're the minute you're friends with girls and close with, you know, women in your life, you know, that's not true, you know, but, but a lot of guys just kind of hang with the guys. They watch this male dominated stuff. Liz, like you were saying the term chick flick, which is the worst, you know, most, yeah. I, I hate that term. Cause all yeah. it is is an excuse for guys not to see a movie mm -hmm. that has women in it, yeah. you know? So it just, you need to get past, they need to get past that and see three-dimensional relationships between men and women and see girls and women as three-dimensional characters that are flawed and funny and confident and not confident, just like they are. They need to see versions of yeah. themselves that are women. I think that has to start with boys being taught to yes. accept the parts of themselves yeah. that look like women, right? Mm -hmm. So long as we believe the yeah. worst thing we could ever be called as young boys as a girl, we will never embrace the parts of ourselves mm. um, and the traits that girls and women exemplify. Mm -hmm. But we got to remember that we have those same parts, yeah. Yeah. right? There are also traits Compassion, of, of, of boys. Empathy, sensitivity are not, they are, not, are not exclusive to women. They're not gender specific. They're mm. biological. We all have yeah. them. But I, uh, but I love that. And I think once we can start exactly. to heal that and help young boys love those parts of themselves, they'll start to not identify with mm -hmm. female mm -hmm. movies and chick flicks and those types of things. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, that's the hope. Yeah, and and I, you know, coming back to uh, yeah. I'm, how great your films are, um, I'm just going to, every question is going to start there. Uh, I think it's not just about the female characters you. <laughs> that you, right, are are portraying. So so you're giving me as a woman or or you're giving young girls, um, you know, uh, a, a, a way into seeing themselves as the main character of, of the story in, in their complicated, a nuanced way. 
I, I think that the, your male characters can be really healing to, to watch as a woman, right? To, to be able to see a man in a supportive role where supportive is not something negative or something feminine. It actually yeah, makes you thrive yeah. as, as, as a man. So I'm, I'm curious, again, is that thought out or is it just kind of the way that you create those characters or is it really, is there something behind it in the way that you do it? The funny thing is I get, you know, I really get condemned a lot by you know, the guy, the people that don't like my movies um, of misandry or misandry or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like they were so up, up in arms that Chris Hemsworth was a dumb character in Ghostbusters. But it's like, well, it was just a reaction to how many dumb characters I've seen women have to play as the receptionist. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of having fun with that. But honestly, it grew out of that wasn't even scripted like that. It was scripted. He was just supposed to be this kind of slacker guy who just didn't want to be there. But when Chris came in, he just started all his jokes were kind of dumb guy jokes that he was ad libbing. Okay. And it was just so funny to us that we just kind of mm. went with it and had a blast and thought nothing of it. You know, and now look, I know that there was some people some guys particularly who were just looking to hate anything to do with my ghostbusters but they really jumped on that and got really mad about it and i, I just never saw it that way and they had moments of going like wow did i really did i do something bad with this character it was like no like first of all it's comedy so everybody lighten the hell up you know <laughs> but at the same time why why can't we have fun with these tropes and these yeah. stereotypes that that women have had to deal with for all these years. So I think maybe sometimes I go too far and go like, well, let's just, let's, let's burn the other side because mm -hmm. it would just be, it's a fun kind of reaction because that's all my movies are. At the end of the day, most of my movies are just reactions to a genre, taking a genre, flipping the tropes, yeah. um, and then having fun with it. Right. You know, so. Are we that sensitive? Yeah. Are we that sensitive as men that we see one character? Well, some are. Some we, are very some are very sensitive. Like, I just don't understand yeah. how we could see that one character played by Thor, mm -hmm. right? The god. And he's clearly making <laughs> fun of himself. Mm -hmm. And yet we're upset about that? Right. But to me, it's also, it proves yeah. our point. I think flipping things is so brilliant. And it, it's such a creative way to make a point because... It, it, exactly. There's nothing political about it. You're just reversing the role that we're that we that we're used to seeing women do, and then you know yeah. seeing what happens when a man does it, and the anger and people being upset. I think to your mm. point, just proves, um, you know, the, the the point that we need you know different characters for women, and that women were stuck in that genre forever, and that it has consequences. Mm. Um, this was one character, um, but for, yeah. for women, that that was the only available character. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll even, I can't even pinpoint a single uh, actress and, uh, you know, I, none of them come to mind, but where now they do films that are really great. And, and I'll see a film that they made in like 2007, like not that long ago. And they're, yeah, they're kind of playing this dumb kind of, again, not overtly stupid. Like that's not even the point. Um, often in some, you know, uh, characters are literally bimbos, right? And that is the point. But even female right. characters just kind of being oblivious, right? And yeah. and again, just being character development for the guy um, was really the mm. norm. And sometimes, yeah, I'll see an old thing. I'm like, man, she, I guess she had to do that. She had to take that role. Um, and it, yeah, yeah, it makes me kind of sad. Well, I had that happen with when I saw it. Look, and I love this movie. School of Rock is such a great movie. Mm, but, so you know, fun. I love Sarah Silverman. I think she's yeah. such a funny, funny. Yeah. And she's just mean in that movie. Mm. She's not funny. She's just this mean, 
girlfriend and, mm-hmm. and I know Sarah and I've worked with Sarah and she's, and I was just like, man, that just made me so sad. You know, yeah. or Rachel, I think Rachel Harris also in, in, in the hangover mm-hmm. is just this shrew of, of, you know, of a fiance and Rachel's hilarious. And yeah. you're kind of like, Oh, don't make them be that. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. That's yeah. at least my take on it. Yeah. Just because I know how um, funny they are in real of course. life. I want them to be able to, to go toe to toe. Yeah. Wow. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. I have this belief that emasculation is a myth. That as men, we cannot be emasculated. That our masculinity cannot right. be taken away. Uh, unless it is purely a performance. <laughs> um, there isn't a verb for that mm-hmm. in feminism. It, like, I, it couldn't defeminize you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious uh, <laughs> what your thoughts are on emasculation because you, you tend to have male characters in your movies that also set up and empower the women. Um, and if you get any shit for that, yeah. just kind of what your thoughts are. Well, I, I really agree with what you say, and I think that's a really great point to make because, mm-hmm. I, you know, feeling emasculated is on the male. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, it's just something you feel. Yeah. It's not, you know, unless somebody cuts your nuts off, you know, <laughs> like physically cuts your balls off, like you can only have an issue with something, you know, and go like, oh, my God, you you made me look so bad, yeah. you know. And, I looked and, weak uh, in that moment. Yeah, and I probably had that in moments in a relate, you know, my relationship case, like, oh, you made me, you know, you could, you kneecap me or whatever. But it's like, but that's still, you know, that's on me again, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, you, you, I, I 100% agree with what you're saying. And it's just that's guys have to kind of lighten up and not take everything like an assault on on you know who they are as a man you know mm-hmm. I, I just find that it's it's very kind of weak but it's also rewarded mm-hmm. sometimes you know yeah mm. or again it's like you made me feel this way right and it's probably a woman yeah. uh as opposed to like society makes me feel this way right like the the, the fact that i uh feel shamed and 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 that there's something wrong with me or broken with me is not her fault it's like this is our culture and and we're all hurt by it right right uh so i i'm with you right it's bringing it back to like you feel that way and and feeling emasculated is like let's acknowledge it like that's a hard feeling insecure really is really what it is it's feeling insecure and it's weaponized against them Mm. but men men aren't allowed to feel insecure so if if we're not allowed to feel insecure Yeah. And therefore, we must be emasculated. Yes, yeah, exactly. and it must be a woman's fault, right? So let me. This is leading me to a question I want. <laughs> I would love to ask you. It has nothing to do with with work or film or our perspective through those eyes in our workplace. A, a lot of people that have listened to our podcast have heard, and I specifically am speaking for or on behalf of men, um, have heard us share some things that we've struggled with, and what we've done to try to overcome them. Um, we've heard things like myself going back to being molested from the age of seven to 17, how that had effect on me. And then in my adulthood and being able to say that out loud and have, um, it speak to maybe some other men that didn't have the courage to say so. Um, I won't point any particular person on the podcast or guests, but we've talked about porn, how that's affected us, um, in different ways. Um, all kinds hey, of, he's talking about me. Different things that men oftentimes that we pack, we don't allow ourselves to feel vulnerable so that we can let it go. Um, and then learn from it and then be better. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Is there something that's appropriate that you feel safe sharing in your life, just as a man walking through the world, that you have had to deal with, that you've overcome, um, that might speak to us or someone? Well, hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, and I don't mean like so personal that I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but please. No, 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 trust me. No, no, I mean, it, it, for me, it's it's something I struggle with daily, and it's what we started talking about at the beginning of the podcast, which is confidence. You know, I really you know, have giant problems with it and, and have, you know, from time to time and, and kind of running through me. I just get, I just know myself so much better mm -hmm. now that I know that it's going to happen. You know what I mean? It, it's like to break it down into something more specific it, it, when I'm writing a script, you know, I always blast into a script with all this confidence of the first act and blah, blah, blah. Then I know I get into the second act and it starts to get weird. I've started like, Oh boy, is this, you know, bad. And I always, when I get to the middle of the script, it's like, just terrible. I got to stop mm. doing it. And then you push through and get to the end. But the only reason I'm able to push through now is I go like, every time I write a script, it's going to do the exact same thing. It's going to be a fun mm. first act. I'm going to lose confidence in the, in the middle of the second act. I'm going to get it back coming, you know? And so if you know yourself well enough to go, it just, it's going to happen. You know, this anxiety, this lack of confidence, this, you know, angst is going to be there. Just get ready for it. Say hello to it. Here yeah. it is. Get past it. Do you experience that also, that same lack of confidence sometimes as a husband, as a friend? Um, father. As a father? Um, yeah. Well, I don't have kids, so I've okay. avoided that. Um, yeah. But no, definitely <laughs> in, in relation. You know, look, I've been I've been married for, for 28 years, you uh -huh. know, and, and we have such a great marriage. But yeah, there's definitely times you're like, oh, my, you know, not as good as I could be, or am I, am I like too impatient or am I you know, blaming somebody for something? You know, what of my faults am I trying to blame on, you know, on my wife or whatever, you know, you have to constantly keep looking at yourself uh, and in a way that you're not blaming the other person. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Cause that's where I think that it helps us a lot when yeah. you, when we do it in our personal lives, in our marriages, um, I've had to reflect a lot about how I can be a better husband. Um, I have four kids to be a better father. And when I am focused on those things in my personal, then it reflects in my work as well. Um, and other things that I'm a part of, right. Yeah. But in my circle, I have to, uh, be a better man, human. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Can we, uh, can we switch gears yeah. a little bit? I'd love to talk about your new book. I've heard that drinks are very gendered. I'm curious. Interesting. I would like to learn more about the gendered nature of of drinks. Educate me. Take me to well, bar they school. They can be. Uh, <laughs> well, again, now I mean, now it may, it, this forces me to talk sort of in that black and white that we're trying to get away from in movies. Yeah. Which is, you know, the equivalent of a chick flick in the drinks world would be like a lady drink, you know, <laughs> which. You know, oh, the, you got it's too sweet, or it's too colorful, or it's got a flower in it, or whatever. Oh, that's a, a woman's drink, and mm. yeah, and again, it's just it's dumbly gendered, you know, because I can enjoy a 
a Mai Tai or a, or a pink lady or a pink squirrel or whatever. As a guy, you're in a bar and like if you want to order like a drink you really like that happens to be sweet and, and considered to be a lady drink and suddenly you're like, oh, am I going to get beaten up? Right. Is that James Bond's fault? <laughs> nah, no, I don't think so because I'm a martini guy. So. <laughs> no, I, I think it's more this kind of toxic masculinity about like you're swigging Jack Daniels, you know, and you're, you're mm. men, real men burn their gullets out with hard <laughs> liquor and ladies need sweet stuff it's pretty you know mm-hmm. it's like no it's, it's it's a drink you know like if, if that tough guy then drinks a coke is he you know any less of a man because it's, it's a sweet drink right. you know it, it, it it's it's all this bullshit kind of labeling of stuff that just is so tiring yeah. you know because like really, do we care about that yeah that's true alcohol commercials are really fascinating when you really think about them if yeah. anything is yeah maybe because I, I we don't say the words toxic masculinity but maybe it is maybe it's maybe it's all about the alcohol industry i mean <laughs> I, I worked in a bar i probably t- told this story before because it's iconic uh i was a bartender at, like a dive bar and the my boss you know was telling me about how to make the drinks and he was like if it's a woman you put a straw if it's a man right. you don't put a straw you know and and it was like a, a very important rule because uh, he and then i remember just actually asking why oh i think God. that's the most powerful thing you can just like why like just Explain that one to me. And he was like, because the, the guy will just throw it out um, anyways. And they were so cheap. We got paid $4 but an hour. But there's truth in this, like- Liz. There's truth in this. And I can tell mm-hmm. you that I, somewhere <laughs> in my life, was programmed to believe that drinking out of a straw was feminine. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the point where, I'm not even joking, when I was doing this. Hmm, you felt emasculated. Drinking out of my straw. Every time <laughs> I do, there's a part of the back of my brain that's like, wow. oh, maybe I shouldn't. That's how deep it is. Mm-hmm. You're going to chug it, right? Yeah. Wow. The, that's, that's, and, and look, there's two. There's there's two holes here. Uh, there's there's one to chug and one to straw. <laughs> yeah. Even smoking cigarettes, like you smoke a cigarette. Like <laughs> here's the masculine way of smoking a cigarette. You hold it like this, and then this yes. was the feminine way. And like, who, what, what, yeah, why is, what, yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Who, or even sometimes up? I've been on dates where like we'll order drinks, and then it comes in a you know a normal glass for me, and then it comes in. Because you don't know what kind of glass is going to come out. And then it comes out in a Cosmo glass for him. And then I feel embarrassed for him. Like, like I'm like, oh, God. you know, He's emasculated. Yes. And like, quick, we got to drink those drinks or anyone, you know, finds out. <laughs> and uh, and it is like, a, you'll, you'll again, being a bartender, you'll see it. Like when it, when you are you give a drink to a guy in one of those glasses that it just comes wow. in, uh, it'll there'll be like deep discomfort. Well, I was going to say, when I was growing up in the 70s, if you dared cross your legs, you know, like a lady, you know, mm-hmm. where you dang, you know, you put your leg over your knee and it down versus up where you're man spreading, like you would get killed. Like I mean, like mm-hmm. in school, people are like, oh my god, look, Fig sitting like a lady, and it's just like, what? Like my legs comfortable? Do I have to really sit <laughs> with you know my crotch open, right. you know, and my knee up mm-hmm. and like, but that stuff and like, why do we? care about that stuff mm-hmm. so much you know and and again you know when i you know, again because I, I just turned 60 so i've been around a long time mm-hmm. you know and th- it was so much it was such a big deal back then yeah. you know god forbid anybody thought you know you were gay you mm-hmm. know and, and you know it, it, my last name was feig so you can only imagine what i got called oh my god um, you know and, and and it just planted all this seeds of like oh my mm-hmm. god gay is bad and all this and you're so I'm so glad that we're, you know, as weird as things are still now, it's so much more enlightened than it was <laughs> yeah, when that's I was right. growing up. Yeah. Wow, wow. I say, I, I say this as my legs have been crossed the whole time. Yeah. And I still think about it. 
when I'm doing an interview <laughs> or I'm doing press and I'm on TV, mm-hmm. I'm more look. comfortable like this. Uh-huh. And I'll catch my reflection in the studio yeah, monitors totally. that are up. And I'll think, oh, wait, should I do this? And it's not nearly as comfortable for me. Mm. And right. then the, the reverse for women is true too, it's not, right? It hurts my knee. It, yeah, like it hurts women, my hips. We have to, you know, one of the, mm-hmm. fir- with the first videos, I was a journalist for a long time, uh, two years before doing this podcast. And um, it was at the height of manspreading and the MTA had put these kind of ads telling oh men God, to stop yes. manspreading in the subway. And so me and my coworker, Nick, you know, who like worked <laughs> in sales, like I just like dragged him into this video. We uh, went to the subway of New York, both manspreaded uh, and with a hidden camera to see people's reactions. And obviously when Nick did it, no one cared. And when I did it, oh boy. And even the act of doing it, like having, like sitting there and with my legs open, I was like, it was mortifying. Like my whole entire nervous system was like, this is against everything I'm supposed to do as a lady. So it's it's, it's yeah, so it's true, both ways. right? It, it, exactly. You're taught, it, you're taught to not yes. take up space. I'm taught to take up space. Yes. I wrote about that very yeah. thing in Man Enough in yeah. my book. Right. Yeah. And I didn't know about it until my wife... Mm would constantly complain that I was taking up all the space on the couch. Like she talked about me like I was a puppy that didn't know he was a Rottweiler. Um, I just was like, oh, but I, I, I thought I just wanted to be close to her. But in reality, I'm like sitting like this and then she's con- she's confined oh. to just the corner of the couch. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? She's like, can I have some freaking space? And I had no concept yeah. that I was taking up all the space. Yeah. And then it made me think, well, what other places yeah. am I taking up space right and that's what I think is important about this conversation mm-hmm. is that as men we have to start we have to have the conversation so that we can have a light bulb moment and go oh wait mm-hmm. I do think about that I why don't I drink out of straws mm-hmm. at bars or with drinks or why don't I like to cross my yeah. legs where is that coming from and it all kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier which is we're taught to hate the parts of ourselves that appear feminine Mm-hmm. And if we can learn to love those parts of ourselves, mm. then everything then everything mm-hmm. changes. And you're also taught it's it's emasculating to think about it, you know, right. to confront it. You know, that's what you know. The, the right the right right now loves. Oh my God! You know, it's you know, every all men are getting so emasculated because they're caring about this stuff. It's like, no, that's bullshit. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they, they you gotta look at this stuff. You know, it, it, for but it, I don't know. It's just this whole. I, I, you know, I don't like the term toxic masculinity, but it's, it is rampant out mm-hmm. there right now, you know, with, you know, a lot of these heroes that these people have, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but I think we know <laughs> we're talking about politics. I thought we were through with it. And then when it comes roaring back, you realize mm-hmm. it's just this, you know, you're always going to go one step forward, two steps back, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and so... We're, we're kind of, I feel like we're in, are we kind of coming into two steps forward? I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, but we've definitely been two steps back um, for, for, you know, the last number of years. Yeah. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Let me just share a little bit about something that we're doing. And I would love to hear your response specifically for someone like Justin and then maybe make it more. Excuse me. I'm just going to drink this water bottle while you're asking him this question. Jeez. This water bottle. <laughs> Careful. Very... Don't fall in it. Don't <laughs> fall in it, Justin. Um, and then maybe you can answer in a way that's directed to Justin, but also in general to people of how they deal with um, maybe the question he asked. So we're a studio, Wayfair Studios. We're doing a bunch of things. One particular project we're doing is a, is a book that's called It Ends With Us, written by Colleen Hoover, partnering with the major studio. And it's, it's a big deal for us, right? Big property. Justin's at the helm directing this. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin, if you don't know, and I'm sure you do, is already an established director. 
Um, he's done two fantastic yeah. movies as well as other things as well, right? Um, he's, mm -hmm. he's the head and brains and creative genius of our studio. Um, and where's this going? It's going somewhere. Leave me alone for a minute. Um, <laughs> somewhere nice. Come, Justin, accept it. Yeah, Come on, man. Exactly. Accept it, right? It's going into um, my imposter and, syndrome. Yes, it's about to go into my imposter syndrome. started earlier when we asked you. <laughs> there you go. Yep. When's the last time we asked you, when's the last time you didn't feel enough? And the, one of the first things you said was, well, we all have this imposter syndrome. Well, Justin, too, mm. right? He's brilliant. And he yeah. can have it. A lot of us are. <laughs> I do. Um, so now we're about mm. to go into prep and all the stuff for this movie. And he's going in and he's going to do brilliant. Mm. And yet there's this person yep. in the back of your mind and the shoulder that's reminding you of how you can fail, how you may not do this right and such and such. What would you say in your experience yeah. that maybe this is addressed to that question, but also in general as people, humanity, and as men, as we question ourselves all the time, what would you say to a Justin mm. and the likes that could be useful? I say, let it happen. It's going to be there. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't trust anybody who doesn't have it because it's like super confidence going into anything means you're not open to mm. other people's input. It means you're not open to your own fears, which will inform you what you have to get more either prepared for, or you have to shore up for more or you just have to be aware of and in tune with what's happening in every phase in casting, in pre-production, in, you know, in approving things and going through the rewrite, all that stuff. And then when you get to set being in, in, in tune with that, my thing I always say is I, you have to be confident enough to have no confidence because <laughs> I love that so I much. I love it. You, that's you, bro. I love that. Yeah. Well, you have to go into it going, I, I can do this. But then when you get in there, go like, but I don't know if I'm right about all this stuff. So other people, what's your input? What's your, mm. you know, I'm open to what you want to do. Like, I'm, not, you know, I hate, like, especially right. writer directors do this all the time, where it's like, I spent two, three years writing this script. You're going to say those lines exactly the way I wrote them and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, but you're not Shakespeare, you know? So yeah, let's do it your way. And then if the actor has a way they want to try it, let them try it. And you sort it out in the editing room. Because if you don't shoot it, then you don't have it. And maybe mm -hmm. that person was right. Mm -hmm. Confident yeah. enough to have no confidence. I love that. That, mm -hmm. that hits mm -hmm. deep. And I resonate so much with that. Mm -hmm. We might put that Thank on a t-shirt. I like it. So I have a question. So um, your resume is incredible. Um, and I say this with a lot of love. And I don't give a fuck about your resume. <laughs> right. I mean, I do in the sense of what you've, you, your art and that. But at the end of the day, you are a human being walking through the world. And I imagine that, you know, I don't know if you have nephews or, you know, people around you that you have influence on, but they don't look at your, your, your one sheet, right? And of who you are. No, definitely um, not. It's really the legacy you leave behind is more in how you deal with people. Now, your resume allows you opportunities, right? Your success yeah. of how you walk as a white cis man. How mm -hmm. would you say that you use all of that to elevate humanity, to champion women, to offer boys new perspectives so that our society can look different in 10 years and our business that is very male dominated um, can look different? So maybe yeah. some tangible ways that, that you use. Well. Yeah, I mean, I'm just a, a very hyper aware of it. I mean, it's why I always wanted to do starting off, you know, women centric kind of projects, because 
you know, growing up watching male stories the, my entire life, other than older movies, you know, from the 30s and 40s, where there was kind of a, a real equality between the, the, the female characters and the male characters, Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant, you know, mm. and bringing a baby and Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant and in, in, in His Girl Friday, that kind of thing. And then watching as I was growing up, that change and the women's roles were so subservient or one-dimensional or just rubes to make the male performers funny. I didn't like that. And yeah, as, as a white cis man, totally. I, I definitely have a leg up or, you know, in the business. Didn't want to be part of the problem. You know, I can't change who I am, but if I can then do the projects that that can empower <clears throat> the people who aren't in charge then that's great and then you know and then that's you know gone through all my movies but my diversity was not great in a lot of my movies mm. you know and it's only been in my most recent ones when I'm trying to get more diversity on the why, why tell me why that is so they weren't before I know why they weren't before because obviously what was the shift for you to say okay now my movies are going to be more diverse there must have been some sort of awareness or shift it, it was just going like oh my gosh look at how white my movies are you know <laughs> it's it, 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 because you just go you know if you're making movies that don't reflect the world around you then you are failing as a filmmaker Mm. You know, because I walk down the street wherever I am and go like, look what a diverse, beautiful world it is. And yet, OK, why am I defaulting to, you know, not putting that diversity on the screen? Mm. You know, and that's that's something you just there is a default setting, you know, because I, I work with women in film and we have this whole program reframe and all that. And it's about trying to get more, you know, people of color and, and women, everybody behind the camera is well. And what you, you found is there's just a default setting. We go like, oh, well, let's just hire those people because we know those people, mm -hmm. you know, and then you go like, wait, OK, before we hire those people, let's talk to other people and interview other people who we wouldn't normally, you know, mm -hmm. we don't know and see if they can top that person. I, I'm not saying hire somebody just because of who they are. But if you then create the opportunity for them to to, you know, show you what they can do and hear their vision and you're like, that person's awesome. Let's take let's give that person a shot, you know, Thanks then that's that. what you need. So you got to create the opportunity to not do it is terrible. It, it is. I love that you do that because what you just said was obviously you build a community of folk that you've worked with over the years and you're going to hire them. And of course it makes sense. But if we only do that, then we don't give opportunities to those that we're saying we want to champion and make a change. So it does require taking a pause and let's look at other things and see how we can incorporate and diversify our, our projects. And it, and if yeah. it comes from the top and people successful like yourself, then it trickles down and then other people get to watch how a su super successful person like yourself is doing it. And then, right, we now can reflect that. So I appreciate it as someone of yeah. color, speaking on behalf of my sisters, um, the fact that you're mindful of that is really, really sweet and special. So thank you. Oh, well, no, thanks. And, you know, but we also have this company called Powder Keg, which is our, in our company, it's, because I got, what I got tired also of is, mentoring people you know it's like can you mentor so and so and and i like doing it but what i found is mentoring is like okay watch me on the set come i'll give you all this advice and then and it's over okay good luck off you go you know and back into the wilds of the of the industry so we created powder keg to do this we have this program called powder keg fuse where basically we get people submit ideas and then each round we do we green light five to six short films hmm. that we put $10,000 into each and then let the person make it. So mm -hmm. then 
they get to make it and have a calling card. So it's not just going like, okay, we'll mentor you, tell you what to do. Like you, then they can succeed or fail on their own. And if they do it and it doesn't work out, we gave you the shot. We create opportunity. But if it does and it works out every single time, these people now have a calling card and a lot of them are getting jobs in the industry and all that. So it, it, it's people in, in my position have to create opportunity, not just not just kind of goodwill. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one of my favorite things about your films is that women are allowed to be women, right? And, and, and women are allowed to be human. I think that when we realize how bad it was and how many, uh, like the lack of female driven stories, I think there was the Wonder Woman's and, you know, women superheroes and the, you know, so-called strong female lead. And you've really made us, yeah. I know you've there's made no a genre. There's no fart jokes in those movies. There's no fart there's, jokes in those Let's be movies. honest. This is, this is really where this is <laughs> no. going. No, yeah, it is where it's going. Because, no, no, because going... before we got <laughs> on this, before we started the podcast, Liz could not stop talking about <laughs> fart and poop jokes. Yeah, I love the fart and, and poop jokes. And we kept saying, Liz, can you please save it for the podcast? And she kept going and going and going <laughs> and going. <laughs> Little did we know that. But I think she and I are quite in, in, t- in tune in on that. Exactly. I think poop is political. Okay. we ne- <laughs> Women aren't allowed to have bodily functions. Tina Fey writes about it in her book, right? Being at SNL and making, it was her or Amy making a, mm. a, a fart joke and, you know, be, being told by one of the male writers, like, you know, girls, girl, like that's not funny, you know? And, and, it, and it's not like girls don't do those kinds of jokes. It's you're not funny. And what you've done is a little like Shonda Rhimes did, right? right. Instead of writing in uh, the ethnicity of a character, she just wrote characters. And then it created this amazing, these amazingly diverse shows. Yeah. And what you seem to be doing, tell me if I'm wrong, is writing comedy. And then it's, 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 it's not specific to women. It's just comedy in general. And then you're putting women in those roles. And then you have this, you know, poop scene in, in Bridesmaids that I think is the, mo- the most iconic uh, mm. scene of all time in, in movie comedy. And, but it <laughs> is, hugely political to see women doing that kind like making those kinds of jokes so i i wonder is that intentional or or do you just mm. i guess you're one of those guys that just sees women as people and doesn't wow. you know make that distinction in the way that you're writing for them <laughs> well yeah i mean i want three-dimensional people like you say i hate strong female character that i that's like i have no interest in that character mm-hmm. because that's not a real person, you know, yeah. I don't like, I, you know, I'm, I don't make superhero movies and I don't like that kind of, you know, not that those are not three, three dimensional, but. Although I would love to see a Paul Feig superhero movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Would you, would you really though? <laughs> yeah. Wonder, Wonder Woman constipated. Are you kidding me? Sign me up. <laughs> she probably was constipated. She had there you go. Like does I'll she do. poop? Man, Nobody do. knows. Does Wonder Woman poop? She should poop. I mean, seeing like, Wonder Woman poop would make like, can you a imagine? Can, can you imagine her? having to stop fighting the aliens because she has to take a dump. Yeah, I would love to see that. I think that would that's a whole story. I think story that should line. be your movie. But we don't see men do that. We don't see Superman. <laughs> I think Superman should poop. <laughs> and what he does, wow, look out. Um, <laughs> no, I actually tried to... <laughs> I tried to get the rights to um to Wonder Woman. I had meetings over there no because way. I wanted to cast Cecily Strong as Wonder Woman. <gasps> That would have been amazing. So funny and cool. Mm. Yeah. So, but it, they, they didn't, they, they immediately didn't go for it. They were already kind of deep into putting Justice League together, I think. So they were like, oh, oh we have a plan it. for that. So, okay. But how it. would you have made Wonder Woman differently? You know, 
like as 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 a strong messy lead. I wanted to be like a glass ceiling movie. I thought it'd be really just interesting that Wonder Woman kind of is trying, you know, trying to prove herself, you know, in this kind of male dominated oh, superhero that. world. That's so, amazing. Um, I love that. That's been fun. like the Justice League is but holding up been... the glass ceiling. Like she's trying to prove to <laughs> she's trying to prove to Superman her worth. Kinda, yeah. I just thought it'd be fun because I wanted it to have some comedy. Yeah, that'd be so funny. Yeah. She probably I, yeah, did feel totally. a lot of pressure. I want to see right? that movie. I want to see. I want to see Superman having to poop out the kryptonite. That's mm-hmm, what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Make I it. think that would be funny. <laughs> it has it all to comes pass. back to that. I'm telling you exactly. That's what we got to do. <laughs> there we go. I, I want to thank you again um, for joining us. Number one. Um, so number fun. two for being such a Please. iconic filmmaker and caring about these subjects. I f- for uh, so long have worked with so many amazing people throughout my life who don't care about these things. Um, They say they care about them, Mm. but they don't, or it doesn't reflect in their action. So when there are those that are doing in their action that has the platform such as yourself, that has the privilege such as yourself, the the success, um, and uh, it's just, it's comforting to know that we are not alone in this, um, that you champion and you care about coming on a podcast, having this be a conversation that you actually have. Um, and I know you do it in your world and in your work. So um, I applaud you for it. And not that you want to receive those accolades, but I think whenever yeah. we're doing good work, we should be recognized by other people that are trying to do the same work so we can have, um, just, we can see eye to eye. So. Well, thank you. But I want to applaud you guys for doing. You, you're the, you know, you're the next generation of, of filmmakers and storytellers, and and it's it's up to you to do this. And I love that you are doing it, that you care about it so much, and that you know mm-hmm. that's what we need. We need to keep, you know, I hate the term "pay it forward," but we do have to keep paying it yeah. forward that's in right. that way. You know, otherwise it's not going to change. And it that fear is always is going to backslide, and I've seen it backslide. Mm-hmm. You know, we go like, oh, we fix that, and then suddenly, whoa, what? Now there's a reaction against it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and um, so as long as it keeps moving forward, so keep 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 doing what you're doing yeah. oh, beautiful you guys are great thank, thank you, you paul liz has the final question for you all right paul what does it mean for you to be man enough hmm well i guess it means to do the right thing as much as i possibly can <laughs> you know i'm not always going to do the right thing but i'm going to try to do the right thing you know and i think if to be aware of it and to focus on it in the decisions that I make and make it part of my decision process. I think that's, that's what that means to me, you mm-hmm. know, and to always try to try to do, try to do it and, and, and realize if I do fail, take away the lesson of what, what was the problem and how can I fix it? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Being okay. confident enough to have no confidence. Yeah. Love it. I'm going to take that with me forever go. and on all of my movies. Uh, Paul, it. you, my friend, are <laughs> absolutely man enough. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. And please come bring Wayfair Studios, one of your movies, because we want to be in business with you. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, we'd love to make something with you. I would love that. Absolutely love it. That would be great. You guys are mm-hmm. fantastic. And, and thank you for everything. And uh, to all of our listeners, as always, you can like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or follow us at manenough.com slash podcast. I am Justin Baldoni. I'm Liz Plank. <laughs> you didn't want to go? We have a delay. I want to go. We have a delay. I, <laughs> I just think there's more power in Liz going last. I feel like it's like we're the two men propping yeah, her up and, the, and she's like yes, hitting her out the park. I'm finale. Also, we're also trying to not let 
the women go last anymore. So maybe it should really be Liz, me, then you. Okay. I'm, I would love Liz. I would love Liz to go first. <laughs> All right, I'm going first. I'm Liz Plank. <laughs> I'm Jamie Heath. And I'm Justin. <laughs> now I feel. No, you're last. Now I feel. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, we'll see you next time. We'll this see you next time. Is man enough? Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter and Gamble, in partnership with Cadence 13 and Odyssey Company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer. Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing. And Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>